Welcome to the Negotiation and Conflict Management podcast series. I'm glad I know that now. This series is brought to you by the NAC team. NAC stands for Negotiation and Conflict. NAC is made up of a team of scholars who are passionate about the teaching, research, and practice of negotiation and conflict management and all related topics. We offer you this podcast series to highlight the work of global academic thought leaders who have a knack for negotiating and managing conflict. We hope you enjoy this episode. I am Laura Reese, your podcast host for today. Our podcast guest today is Dr. Stefan Cote, who is the Jeffrey Conway Chair in Business Ethics, a professor of organizational behavior and HR management, and the director of the Clarkson Center for Business Ethics at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Dr. Cote's research focuses on how emotional intelligence relates to well-being and performance, and how social class and inequality relate to pro-social and ethical behavior in social and organizational settings. He is an associate editor at the journal Administrative Science Quarterly and a fellow of the Association for Psychological Science, International Association of Applied Psychology, and the Society for Personality and Social Psychology. He teaches courses on emotional intelligence in the MBA and commerce programs. Today's episode focuses on the topic of emotional dynamics and negotiations. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cote. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let's just jump right in. I would love to ask you, why should we study emotional dynamics and negotiation? What makes it interesting? It makes it interesting because it influences and impacts our outcomes of negotiations. The emotions that you feel inside while you negotiate, the emotions that you show to your negotiation counterparts or opponents will influence what you do, how you negotiate, the things you'll say the strategies you'll use, and your opponent's and counterparts' reactions, what they'll offer, how they'll react, whether they'll stay in the negotiation, whether they'll exit. It influences your outcomes of negotiations. So first of all, it influences whether there's a, there's a settlement, that you, you actually settle on something versus have an impasse, and it influences how much you get if there is a settlement. So given how important emotional dynamics are for negotiation, methodologically then, how should we be studying them? There's different strategies that have different pros and cons. So most of the research so far has set up negotiations in a laboratory or online and have manipulated experimentally the emotions that the negotiators felt or expressed to see in a controlled setting what changes when a negotiator feels something or expresses something. All this work has so far, most of the work so far is focused on, I use this strategy because uh, of the experimental control that it provides. So if you do a study, for example, where you look at how negotiators respond when their opponent are, are either angry or happy, then you can keep everything else the same in the study so that you can be pretty sure that any difference in, you know, between those who had an angry opponent versus those who had a, a happy opponent is due to that that emotion that, you know, a lot of research so far has used that strategy in order to determine what are these effects of these emotions. There's limitations to this, which is how does that play out in real life interactions? So you can, you can ask, are the effects of emotions as strong in a real life interactions where people have to pay attention to a lot of details or a lot of things happening around them? And a lot of things, you know, vary depending on the circumstances. 
So some studies have examined negotiations in real-life circumstances. And the conclusion so far seems to be that the studies in the laboratory that have controlled settings that only manipulate the emotion, these studies give similar results to those that are done in, in real-life circumstances. It seems like the different strategies with their own pros and cons seems to converge on similar findings. It's good to know that we can take these really helpful lessons from experiments and and to know that those work out in real life as well. So you published a a review of a lot of the work on emotional dynamics in negotiations recently, along with Herbin Van Cleef in 2018, actually. Uh, In particular, your review focused on three specific levels of analysis, from the individual to the dyadic, and then finally the group levels. Could you tell us a bit about that review and and what the main insights that you had were? Yes. So at the individual level, what we're interested in is how do the emotions that you feel as a negotiator influence what you do? So when you're happy, are you negotiating differently than when you're angry? And we find that it does. So people are more cooperative when they're happy, they're more competitive when they're angry. We are finding out, for example, that when people are anxious, a lot of negative outcomes occur. People make lower offers. They're more likely to exit the negotiation when they're anxious So we are finding out that the emotions you feel influence what you do. Then a lot of the research is looking at this kind of dyadic level, interpersonal level, which is do the emotions that are shown by your negotiating opponent influence what you do? So what do their emotions, how do their emotions influence what you do? That's important because we express a lot of emotions during negotiation. And also we're finding that emotions that we we observe in others influence what we do. So when our opponents show happy, it sends a signal to us that they may be satisfied with their current outcomes. So we might demand more from them because they seem to be satisfied and potentially willing to cooperate and give us more. When others are angry, however, that sends a signal to us that they're frustrated with the outcome and that we actually need to give them more for them to feel satisfied. It sends a signal they might actually leave the negotiation and that there might not be a settlement. So research has found pretty consistently that when we encounter angry counterparts, we tend to give them more. We tend to leave the negotiation with less. Other emotions have also been studied this way. So when our counterparts express guilt, we see it as a sign that they might have been trying to to cheat us. So we demand more from them. These emotions that we see uh, matter. An, An important twist here that's important to highlight is that these emotions have those effects on us if they appear genuine to us, that if those emotions appear fake to us, they appear to be strategies that are being used against us, they, they tend to backfire. That, that doesn't seem to be a, a good strategy to fake emotions. And then we also have been interested in the effect at the group level. So how do emotions felt by certain negotiators kind of spread among the team and influence how the team might cooperate or, you know, have conflict? So here we're, we're thinking uh, of emotions as a property of the, the team. Emotions tend to be shared among team members, and they might also affect the outcomes of the teams. That's how we organized our review to highlight all of the different ways in which emotions can influence the outcomes of negotiations. 
I mean, it's really fascinating, but there are so many things that you've just mentioned. So you have different levels of analysis, individual, uh, dyadic, and interpersonal and group level. You have many different discrete emotions, anger, happiness, guilt, a large number of other ones. You also have authentically expressed emotions, and sometimes we might try to fake emotions, although, um, as you mentioned, that can backfire. It seems like a, a lot to do in a review. Did you, were there any challenges that you faced when you were conducting this review? For sure. So I've mentioned uh, the effects of anger and happiness on how we negotiate and how these expressions by other people influence us. And we felt that the results concerning those emotions were robust and there were enough studies to come up with some conclusions, some statements, right? So the what I said earlier about happiness, influencing your cooperation, leading others to think that you're happy and them maybe demanding more and anger making you more competitive, but also sending a signal to others that you're not happy and them giving you more. I'd say these results are pretty consistent among many studies. There are factors that influence how strong these effects are. But then the challenge, one challenge was actually to find studies on on many of the other emotions like you studied, so like you mentioned. So there are many of these uh, studies where there were one or two or, or papers. Some of these papers include multiple studies. So it was more difficult to come up with conclusions. And in fact, if in the paper itself, we, we have a table where we look at the emotions and we describe the conclusions. And for some of the emotions and some of the effects, there's, we, we had to write NA for not applicable, meaning there are no studies available to review. So I think there's still, for anybody like interested in, in researching this, uh, opportunities to, to learn more about what some of the emotions, how they influence our behavior when we negotiate and the behavior of other people. So that, that was definitely a, an important challenge. Another challenge is to address the issue you raised earlier, which is how do we know that these effects that we find in laboratory studies manifest in, in real life interactions? So we're able to find enough pairs of studies where the same dynamic was studied in the lab and then in the field to draw some conclusions that the effects seem similar, but because of the lack of studies about certain emotions or certain effects, we were limited in in how much we could say about the real life application or relevance of, of some of those studies. It's such a helpful paper. I'm really curious how you came up with the idea of doing a review initially in the first place. Was there something that made doing a review at this point in time a really compelling idea for you and Herbin? Well, it seemed that at least for certain emotions, there had been enough knowledge accumulated that we could see something about the field. For example, yeah, that there were some practical implications that we were ready to share best practices for managers. So for example, if you show anger, you will on average get more in a negotiation, assuming that this anger is is generally felt. So we felt there were best practices we could share. In addition, it was also an important moment to call for research on emotions that hadn't been studied yet for people to use different approaches to study this question. So we call for research that looks at more of the long-term outcomes of negotiations. So whether somebody is going to be willing to negotiate with you again in the future, 
that's the kind of outcome that has not been studied much in literature. That's really important. So you might win a negotiation, potentially because you've shown anger and, and the other person has conceded. But perhaps that is not useful to you in the long term if that person never wants to see you again, right? That's important to study. So it was an opportunity with this paper to call for more research on the emotions that we didn't know much about or certain contexts of negotiation that we hadn't studied. And there are so many emotions and contexts that you could study. It's such an interesting and, and wide open field in many ways. That actually makes me think, it's been a few years since that review was published. Are there any new findings that you know on emotional dynamics from, from either your own papers or others that you're aware of? that are really important for us to know now? One paper that we did since then is about showing passion. People tend to be supported as long as they support what you're passionate about. If they oppose what you're passionate about, then it, it has the opposite effect. That's one of the emotions that we've been studying since this review that seems to also have impact on interpersonal dynamics. The other thing that we've been interested in is more in terms of applying this knowledge. So are you are some people just better able to leverage the interpersonal effects, the intrapersonal effects of emotion? So we started to define this as a, an emotional intelligence skill, whether you're able to leverage to use emotions in order to influence your negotiation partners in a certain way. And it seems like some people might be better skilled at, at expressing these emotions, but still more to do on this front, research-wise. You know, your work on emotions is just so foundational. You really are one of the biggest authorities in the field. So I'd like to ask if we took a step back just more generally, uh, what finding from your own research and all of the work that you've done is most interesting to you and, and why? The uh, findings on how tests of emotional intelligence relates to positive outcomes, such as you know, higher job performance, leadership emergence in groups, being able to discount the effect of unrelated emotions on our, our thinking. All these findings on emotional intelligence and how I consistently get correlations between a test score on emotional intelligence and a positive outcome. Even in my MBA classes that I teach, those students who do well on a, a test of emotional intelligence where you might just have to be able to tell what a person on the picture is expressing correlates with how their real life coworkers say about them, such as whether they're effective leaders, like even when I'm not doing an actual study on it, I see these correlations. And I'd say like, I've always, you know, believe in the importance of emotions in, in the workplace and believe in the importance of, of emotional intelligence defined, you know, as a type of intelligence, you know, rigorously. I'd say it's still, even, even though it still surprises me how regularly I see the, these correlation that it matters. I think, you know, people with higher scores on, on emotional intelligence, they understand the dynamics of how emotions influence us day to day, you know, the way we think, the way we interact with other people, the way other people respond to us, including in negotiations, but in every other kind of interaction that we have. It, it still, I guess, surprises me that it's, it's robust, it's, it's consistent. 
it's different than, you know, IQ, you know, that there's actually a set of skills that have to do with emotions that correlate, you know, separately, but as strongly as IQ with these uh, work outcomes, you know, whether people think you're a good leader, whether people do your think you do your task effectively, whether people say they have good relationships with you. And part of why I think it maybe I find it surprising is because these are correlation between what somebody does on, on a task and how other people who don't even know they did a task rate them, there's no overlap in terms of how things are measured that would create some sort of artificial relationship. I would say that 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 does surprise me, even though I, I very strongly believe in the idea of emotional intelligence, emotion, just how often I just see that just last weekend, I, I saw it in data from my class where you could even argue that the, the students are not taking the test super seriously, because it's just a class, you know, exercise, you still see a correlation with like their scores and what their real life professional contacts say about their leadership and their effectiveness in the workplace. So given how important these correlations are that you were talking about between emotional intelligence and perception and recognition and really important outcomes like leadership and performance and things, how do you advise your students to leverage emotional dynamics to help their own negotiations in particular? So I would say, first of all, that they need to perceive how they're feeling during negotiations so that they can have a sense of how these emotions make are, are making them uh, act. So to perceive whether you're yourself happy or angry or anxious about the negotiation so that you can leverage your your skills to regulate how you're feeling in order to attain the better outcomes. So if you're anxious, you know, use one of the strategies available, whether you kind of reframe the situation or you pay attention to certain aspects of the situations rather than others in order to reduce that anxiety, because there's been just so many negative outcomes of feeling anxious in negotiations. I also say you should uh, very much be aware that your opponent's emotions influence what you do. Again, leverage your skills to try to combat any sort of influences that will reduce your outcomes. Then you can think about also how your emotions are influencing your counterpart and to express emotions that might be more beneficial for you. So in certain types of negotiations where you can enlarge the pie, when you can actually create value by cooperating and coming up with creative solutions to make it a win-win, happiness will, will promote this type of collaboration cooperation. Another type of negotiations where it'd be more zero sum with whatever you take, they don't and vice versa, then showing anger, if it's genuine, will send a signal to the opponent that you feel you've been wrong, that they're trying to cheat you in some way. One thing that's important to know is that being fake does not seem to work, that being inauthentic, faking anger when you're not really feeling it just as a strategy backfires. We actually found in a a study that compared to just being neutral, showing anger does increase your outcomes. But if you fake it, it decreases your outcomes, you know, lower than than being neutral. So it it backfires. It has the complete opposite effect. If you're fake, we're finding that people are able to detect on average that you're fake. Maybe not everybody will, but on average, it doesn't seem like a good strategy. And the reason is that when we're fake, our face looks different than 
where we actually feel the emotion that there's things even when even if people are not able to like verbally describe what's different that they notice something is off for example we see that when people are fake the left side of their face is actually uh, less likely to match the right side of their face so there's this asymmetry there also some of the facial movements the the facial muscle movements are are different in some way or there's some missing ones. So an angry face is not, doesn't move every single muscle that a real angry face makes when it's fake. So, so people tend to, to, to pick up on it. So faking it is not a good strategy, but it's definitely displaying and not removing genuine emotions in a certain context seems to have you know, impact, potentially beneficial impact. So this is not a context where you should fake it till you make it. No, not at all. Potentially, that's wrong advice in any context, but um, <laughs> definitely in the context of emotions and negotiation, I would say no. That's excellent advice. So given all that we've covered on emotional dynamics and negotiation and, and your history in this area, are there still things that you think that we still need to know and don't yet know about how emotional dynamics and negotiation work? And if so, why is it important that we still need to know those things? As I mentioned earlier, I think one of the big things that we don't know is the long-term impact of emotions on negotiations with people that you're going to negotiate with often. So it could be like if you're a manager and you're going to have the salary discussion with an employee on a yearly basis or some kind of regular frequency, the emotions that you show that might have maybe a positive impact on that one meeting could be things that they remember later on. And perhaps uh, the short-term game is not worth in certain situations, the uh, the long-term cost or vice versa. Maybe taking a short-term hit might be worth a long-term benefit. Like thinking about like losing the battle to win the war or vice versa. So that's something that I think is important to study because of how often we might negotiate with the same person. And most of the research so far has assumed that it's kind of a one-shot deal or one-shot negotiation, like you buy a car and you'll never see that person again, the salesperson. Also, it's important to study other emotions. Like what are the effects of showing things like shame, uh, embarrassment? This I mentioned a study on passion earlier, but there's not that many studies on that. How about sadness and disappointment? There's a little bit of research on it, but not as much. So I think there's more emotions to study. Also, another thing is there's certain contexts where we have not studied negotiation, where maybe the dynamics or the effects could be different. So I don't think there's that many, for example, studies on salary negotiation between you know a manager and an employee, and we don't have a lot of knowledge about that. And really important context. So it's exciting to know there's still so much that we can know about this area. So I'd like to take a step back and ask more broadly, is there a specific line of research or a study or an article that's most influenced you as you've gone through your research? Yeah, I think I would say early work on emotional intelligence uh, in both good and bad ways, I would say. We're talking here about some kind of advanced emotional intelligence skills to understand our own emotions, understand how they impact our behavior, understand how other people's emotions impact our behavior, perceiving whether other people are authentic or inauthentic, 
all of this, I think, relates to this notion that some people can leverage skills that have to do with emotions to benefit them. Um, I started studying emotions in these kind of workplace situations when work on emotional intelligence was, you know, was being started by some early discussions of what is this form of intelligence that could be separate from knowing about numbers and knowing about words and knowing how to reason well. Papers by uh, Peter Salovey and Jack Mayer, for example, on emotional intelligence has influenced me in, in great ways because now I pretty much put like all of my work in a bucket that is like, which emotional intelligence skills are we talking about here? This is work that's influenced me quite a bit. And then some basic research on, on emotions. So when I was in graduate school, for example, at, at Michigan, uh, work that was being done by Barbara Fredrickson on how positive emotions influence us. There was this puzzle in the world of emotions research where we can, we can actually identify why negative emotions have evolved, like anger. It's, it tells us it's a signal that we might have been wrong. So anger has evolved for us to redress you know, unfairness. Sadness is an emotion that's evolved to recruit assistance and help when, when we've experienced a loss. Guilt is a, an emotion that's evolved so that we can convey to others that we've violated some sort of social norm and get their approval after what we've done. But then what, why, why do we feel positive emotion? What's their function other than just feeling good? You know, based on earlier research by, for example, Al Sizen showing that positive emotions make us more creative, has evolved this, this idea that emotions broaden our mind and make us more creative, for example, but also more accepting of ideas and more willing to see the big picture and lead us to develop long-term resources through exploration and trying things out, taking some calculated risks. This line of research has helped me understand what could be the benefits of emotions in general, including the negative and the positive ones, and therefore kind of set the stage for me to value or to think about emotional intelligence as a set of skills so that some people just seem to understand and leverage all of these effects of emotions better than others. Therefore, we can train this, these, these skills so that everyone can actually leverage these benefits. What we learned today from our podcast guest, Dr. Stefan Cote from the University of Toronto, is that the emotions that you show while you negotiate will influence your counterpart's reactions and yourself and ultimately what you get out of that negotiation. Emotions do have an impact. So it's important to think about what emotions we show, but also not to fake our emotions because the research shows that people will be able to tell and faking emotions will backfire. As our series name states, I'm glad I know that now. Once more, I'm Laura Reese, and on behalf of all of us, we thank our guest, Dr. Stefan Cote from the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Thank you for having me. On behalf of our NAC team, Deborah Sai, Michael Gross, Jennifer Parlamis, Laura Reese, and Ming Hong Sai, thank you for listening. For more information about this and every episode, you can check out the podcast notes on the NAC website. There you can find additional sources and links to material cited in each episode. Please tell a friend about our podcast, and we hope you will join us next time for another fascinating discussion about a topic you'll be glad to know about.